think Ross's girlfriend at one oh, point or something. So yeah. maybe there's always be. one that kind of you know there's one token they drop in. They had the same issue on the other end of that with the new Coming to America two that you didn't like movie. Yeah, where the studio made them put in Louis Anderson <laughs> because there was no white people in the movie. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. I mean. I suppose if you wanted, you could find some way to write in some sort of a new a new neighbor no. or something like that. Or uh, maybe a, somebody could work at the barista, whatever the, the hell. The, the coffee shop? The coffee shop. What was that place called? Central Perks? Yep. I think yeah. it's Central Perks. I mean, they can't, you know, somebody, wa- a black person walks by. <laughs> Why would we, I would not want to have an African-American have a low-paying job at the Central well, Perks. Well, no, I said they, 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 boss. <laughs> maybe they walk exactly. by. We don't necessarily mean that they're working there. Just they, get them no. in the photo. On this shoot. You know my favorite thing about diversity in movies was when the New York Times wrote this really angry op-ed about how 1917 didn't have enough diversity because the <laughs> characters were white from Europe. I never watched Friends and ever thought about that. Like, there's you no never, black people You never thought Friends. about it. No. Or Seinfeld. Yeah. Like, I watched Seinfeld. I was a fan of Seinfeld. I never would go, you know, where the black people? I mean, you got Jackie there, the lawyer, but... You know, when you get one black person in there, it's like when I watch Martin Lawrence or, you know, In Living Color, or not In Living Color, but uh, Living Color, I never went, why are there no white people in it? Right. Just, you know, it's whatever the show is kind of based around, you know, you might have one passerby or a neighbor. All right. I'm still considering (laughs) the statement, the bold statement that Curtis made earlier this morning that this. Joining us now on the Harbor One Hotline to, I bet, give me a little backup when it comes to my support of Tuka Rask. It is Andrew Raycroft of Nesson. Razor, good morning. Morning, Greg. Morning, Wiggy. What up, man? I mean, how many more mornings am I going to have to get on this radio station and defend Tuka? These these people are out of their minds. Out of their minds? Hopefully... Hopefully we get to a point where we win a couple more games and it just goes away. But uh, there's no goalie controversy. The goal attending is not getting changed. It, it's just not happening. And, and to, to spend any energy or waste any energy, is, it, it seems silly at times. How much energy should we waste on discussing what he's going to do at the end of the season, like we did yesterday for four hours? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, maybe we'll let the season play out still. And, and uh, if there's a, a duck bowl parade, I think it's probably a different scenario than if he, they lose out in the next six days. I would, I would suggest that would be a different scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, that wasn't that wasn't a must-win game last night, but uh, but it was close. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It always it, it wasn't a must-win game, but afterwards when they win, it feels like oh yeah, that was a must. They they needed that one. And you never want to go down two nothing in a series, even if you still are playing on the road. It, the one one feels good. Everybody's happy, and now you you focus game three and and, and taking that lead. Raisin, when you think about like the issues that you know, I think fans have with Tuka Rask. What would you think? What do you think is the the main reason why people feel that? You know what? He's not that caliber goalie. I think, I think it's a PR thing to a point. I think it's the way some of the answers get or questions get answered. I think there's sometimes a uh, a thought that there is an intensity uh, in, in some of it. The way he answers, he doesn't go out and cross check Daniel Sedin in the back of the head while he's playing, and, and I think a lot of that does just coming in after Tim Thomas and people love Tim Thomas and, and Tuka is just a, most people aren't like Tim Thomas. He was a different guy. And, and I think there's um, here in Boston and, and Bruins fans love that 
that intensity, that Cam Neely, that and as a goaltender, Tukarask isn't necessarily wired that way. He he plays a different way, and and I think at times the the thought is that it can get lost that he doesn't care, and and I I don't think that could be further 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 from the truth. When a guy's played this long and won this many times, he cares, and when he's on this group for as long as he's been. Uh, if he didn't care, I don't think Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand would want him as a goaltender. Oh, oh! Hmm. I think somebody said that earlier on this program. Yeah, I think that was you. Greg. I wonder who it was. You? Who was it? Was it me? Yeah, it was you. Yeah, it was I me. was. The, I I I was chasing the kids around, so I didn't even hear it. But it, that's listen. I, I was saying it morning brew last night. They've had so many players come through this group in the last twelve years that didn't care, that didn't work that Zidane Ochara didn't respect enough to have around as a teammate. But the goaltender through all of that has been Tuka Rask. So I, I think there's something to be said for that and how much this group likes Tuka Rask and how hard this group works and how much they care and how intense they are and they want Tuka as their goaltender. I think that's a resounding uh, vote of confidence in, in what this guy means to the team. Does it make you feel old? That Anderson, who was a teammate of yours in 2006, is still playing, Razor? It makes me feel old. It makes me feel like I probably should get back in the gym <laughs> because I know I couldn't play a playoff game right now. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and it also makes me feel like the Brewers need to take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean that. If I had one issue, it was that you know you're up against a 39 year old goaltender who hasn't played much, and you need to be able to put the, the puck past him more. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I, I think you have to give – Craig Anderson's a gamer. He's been around a long time. He's that cagey knuckleballer that has Vaseline all over his arm that throwing 60 miles an hour but, <laughs> but finding a way to get guys out. That's kind of what he is. And, and he still he recognizes the game. Hockey sense is great. seen so much that – that he can get around. I think the longer he has to play, the harder it is mentally and physically to stay sharp. He's just going to get a little bit more tired than what you do when you're 27. So, Andrew, when we, we've kind of discussed this, some of the goals that, that have gotten past Tuka, and it seems like a lot of them come off this deflections, especially last night's goal. I think, you know, Ken and both Curtis think it was a little bit of a soft goal. The second goal. The second goal. How difficult yeah. is it as a for a goaltender to be able to track and stay with uh, deflected pucks? It's extremely difficult. There's way you, you, you do have technique. You don't want to be sliding. You don't want to be moving too much on the initial shot because that takes you out of position. On that second goal, Tuca's been doing a great job staying on his feet and staying on his edges. And when he does get sliding, that's when he struggles at times. He gets ahead of the play. On that one, he's trying to hold his edges because he's expecting it to get tipped and move into the slaughter, move somewhere else. No way this puck's going to get tipped and go through nine different legs through my legs. And when it does, you see his reaction like, I should have went down. <laughs> and, yeah. and he knows it, but he's also playing a certain way. You're going to see it on so many other plays that it's helped him to stay on his edges and helped him to recover on a play like that or a block shot and get to his next spot. So, you have to take the good with the bad. Obviously, he should have went down. He should have sealed the ice. He shouldn't have let it go through his leg. But he's got a bit of a strategy, a bit of an idea of how he wants to play. And on that play right now, he's trying to hold his edges. 
Do you, do you feel like the Capitals should have challenged that Hall goal? No, I, I, I thought that was good all the way. If Just because when Hall hits it, it goes right in. Now, if Hall's shot for initial shot had to went under to Anderson and then he pushed into Anderson, then you're challenging it. Then you're looking at its goalie interference. But because that initial Hall hit went directly into the back of the net and then there's more jostling, I think it looked worse than it actually was. I love the embellishment call on Wilson last night. That might have been the best. <laughs> that might have been the other than the overtime goal. Might have been the best moment of the game. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, we know what it's like watching Brad Marchand have a target on his back. I mean, Tom Wilson has a massive target on his back with the officials, and uh, it certainly went the Bruins' way. But you can imagine if that had to happen in the Garden to a Bruins player, the the reaction. Bruins fans on the Were you worried at all about Marsh slipping back into the old uh, the old Marsh last night? <laughs> uh, not not all the way into that that abyss, but I, I was a little concerned about just where his energy was. And and I got you know you get it. He's trying to get guys going. He's trying to bring his team into the fight. And you just get concerned sometimes that those four minutes in the box at the end of the game, when you're looking at the game sheet, man, they could have used him for that minute and a half more height. Uh, but it, it worked out for, for him and the Bruins in the end. How, how good is it to see that those first two lines, you know, from game one to game two show, especially in game two where they're getting so many more shots on goal. How, how good is it to see that moving forward, knowing that they're going to come back to Boston playing that way, hopefully and continuing the way they played in game two. It was really promising at the end of the third. I was start of the third. I started wondering, it's matchups, and, and the Washington Capitals. Peter Laviolette did a really nice job getting the matchups he wanted to keep those two lines under wraps in Washington. And I was I was wondering in the third if they were going to be able to break through, if they were going to be able to to get around it. And and I so I think for two reasons that bodes well. One, they figured it out on the road. They figured out, grinded through it, worked through it. Taylor Hall scoring a self-proclaimed greasy goal. And then at home, now they get the matchup. Now they can control the pace of play. Now they can control who's jumping over the boards and who they want to be up against. So that it's going to be really fascinating, game three and four, how the Bruins change and make adjustments and who they want their lines playing up against. Through two games, Andrew, are you able to determine who the better team is? It's really tight. I, I think you give the edge to the team that won last. You, I think you got to give the edge to the Bruins for keeping it close both games on the road. And like I said, those matchups, the Capitals did a really good job, and, and they're hard to play against. You look at you know the opportunities. I, I feel like the Bruins had more opportunities to win both games. But that being said, it's real tight. It's still real tight. And, and game three is going to be a big indicator just because of those matchups that I talked about. Andrew, I'm at a hockey reference right now, which is a lovely website. It was Dale's bookmark when he was here. And there is a, a seven-game series that you were the goaltender for, the Bruins and Canadians. You played mm-hmm. great, but uh, Jose Teodor, whatever his name was, Theodore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dominated the action. So my question for you is, after every game in that series, did you talk to the media? Uh, yes, I would have had to have done that. Um, and, and reluctantly, certainly after Game 7, I think I was crying my eyes out like a little kid. But, uh, yeah, I 
definitely talk to the media every day of that series. Yeah. So, uh, any any does it feel a little odd that a day after the dupes question seemed to elicit a big response, at least on this show and in other venues in Boston, that Tuca did not meet the media after Game Two? Well, I think the scenario is different with Zoom and COVID, and and to be all all honesty, you can hide easier. These guys, everybody, all season could could get away and find a reason to not do the Zoom call. So I think it's a lot more controlled now than what it was when there was 48 reporters from Montreal running around the dressing room chasing us with microphones. Uh, so I, it's just more controlled now. So it doesn't surprise me. I think they're going to want to limit everybody's exposure as much as they can expecting a long playoff run. Uh, when it comes to the third line, do we get the same DeBrusque and I guess the, to some extent the same coil that we got last night going forward here? I sure hope so. They're gonna they're gonna need that effort. That was that was so much better from that line and Jake DeBrusque carrying that line a little bit. Let's give him some credit after getting beat up for the season, the regular season. Him playing two really good playoff games, moving himself onto that third line and and carrying along Charlie Coyle and Nick Ritchie. I thought Nick Ritchie, again, he does his thing. He takes his licks, he gets in, he smokes backs from a few times in the corner. Those big hits will pay off, body blows. So, so yeah, it, it needs to continue to get better, but the progression from game one to two from the third line was a big reason why they ended up winning. Raze, I always wondered, you know, in football it's one and done, you're out of the playoffs. I always wondered what the mindset was like for athletes um, when they play seven-game series and, you know, they're able to go and steal a game in the opponent's you know, home ice. What's the mindset if you're the Bruins coming back, stealing a game, and then vice versa? What's the mindset if you're the Washington Capitals having an opportunity to go up 2-0? Uh, what are both teams thinking as they as they head into game three? It's, it's really trying to stay level key, and it's a cliche, and you hear guys talk about it. But when you're in that playoff, I remember, all right, you know, we'll enjoy this tonight. Then you wake up this morning, guys are going to the rink. They're going to get treatment. They're going to butt. It's all about now the next game. And you try and change the momentum as fast as possible when you lose, and you try and carry it a little bit, but know that you're going to get a bigger effort out of the team that just lost. And that's where that's how it's so hard in those seven games because you got to ramp again because you know the net it's just back and forth. All right, the next team that losses that's a bigger game. As you get through the series, the games do get more important, and you feel that. And it's really important to not have a memory and just really focus on that next game and and not get too high or too low. I feel like they did a pretty good job with Ovechkin last night. Do you think they're able to keep doing that? They did, and that, that, that was big on Connor Clifton. He, he played a lot against Ovechkin. That was the matchup Washington wanted to get. They wanted Ovechkin against that bottom so-called pair of the Bruins, and uh, Clifton Miller did a really nice job getting out on the flank. A couple big shots from Miller on the power play, penalty kill. Carlo did a nice job. So, again, Ovi's a gamer. Look for him to get back on his forechecking. He's going to try and smoke somebody. Uh, he's going to be looking for big hits game three. He knows that he has to bring his level up again. But to the Bruins' credit, especially Clifton and Miller played a lot against him. They did a nice job suffocating him. All right. Well, we're tied at one and headed back to the Boston Garden. 
and thanks for coming on this morning. The podcast, tell everybody. I, somebody wanted to know about uh, the mugs that you guys use on the podcast. A texter, oh, a texter wanted to know how they can get those. So the mugs are the mugs are in transit. We're turning ourselves into a mug business, which makes a lot of sense. I know. Um, <laughs> Very profitable. It's all about the merch, Razor. It's Very always profitable. all about the yes. merch. Yeah. So, morning brew with Jaffe and Razor, and yes, we're, we're uh, Jaffe's figuring out mugs. I'm not a mug guy. I'm uh, I, I just know hockey and goaltending up there. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully, we'll talk to you again this week. I'm sure we will. All right. All right. Awesome, guys. Have a great day. All right. Later. Thank you. That is Andrew Raycroft.